24 hours of hell. Israeli settler gangs terrorize Palestinian town under the occupation army protection. The Palestinian town of Hawada has been under constant attacks since Thursday, October 13th. Groups of armed settlers that began to attack businesses, cars, people, escorted and protected by the occupation army. It's a pogrom. Jews understand and know this type of behavior to be described as a pogrom, like the ones that were inflicted upon us. It's not just the uprooting of olive trees, it's burning agricultural fields, massacring tens of thousands of chickens. I saw Zionists responding on Twitter, oh, well, I didn't realize you cared about animals because part of Muslim tradition is to slaughter a lamb, use the meat to give to the poor. That's exactly the same thing as arson. Hello and welcome to episode 74 of the Palestine Pod, the weekly podcast where we break down the latest headlines dealing with Palestine from all over the world and bring you stories, commentary, and interviews with the aim of supporting the Palestinian struggle for justice and equal rights. I'm one of your hosts, Lara E. You might know me from Instagram as at Gazan Girl, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mikey B. What's up, y'all? Mikey B on TikTok, Michael Scherzer on Instagram. And you can call me Mikey Intifada if you celebrated Sukkot by setting fire to a farm in Nablus and killing 30,000 chickens. That photo was devastating. What I, the fuck? Yeah. Like super duper, what the fuck? What is wrong with y'all? Every week, what is wrong with y'all? Before we get into today's episode, please like, comment, and subscribe if you hang out with us on YouTube. If you're listening on a podcast app, subscribe and leave a review. As always, you can find our full episodes and sources on palestinepod.com. And if you want to get involved in the conversation, reach out to us at palestinepod at gmail.com and give us a follow on Instagram at the Palestine Pod. I just want to share that we have 157 reviews on Apple Podcasts, and we are at a very stellar 4.9, which is so cool. Thank you guys so much. Because every time I say this, like, you know, leave a review, and then I'm like, do people, are people doing this? Like, yeah, they are. It's great. So thank you so much to everyone who has rated the podcast, who has written a really amazing review. I read everything. Michael reads everything. We've posted some of them on our website to share. And it's just really incredible to see the, the reception and, and how you guys are enjoying everything. I can't read. <laughs> it's just amazing. <laughs> I read them too, Michael. <laughs> what is What does my shirt say? <laughs> I don't know. Says uh this is Powell's books. Okay. <laughs> Spotify also just started allowing people pretty recently to rate podcasts, and we are the stellar 4.9 also there with 94 reviews. So it's just thank you so much. So this article by Monda Weiss describes what's been going on largely in Palestine. It's called 24 Hours of Hell. Israeli settler gangs terrorize Palestinian town under the occupation army protection. So the Palestinian town of Hawada has been under near constant attacks since Thursday, October 13th. We saw images and videos of groups of armed settlers that began to attack several businesses, cars, people in the town, and they were escorted and protected by the occupation army. Yeah, it's a pogrom. Jews 
typically understand and know this type of behavior to be described as a pogrom, you know, like the ones that were inflicted upon us. Friday around 1 p.m. as Friday prayers were ongoing in the town, groups of armed and masked Israeli settlers began attacking homes, storefronts off the main road of the town, which connects Hawada and the surrounding villages to the city of Nablus. We saw them throwing rocks at passing cars, breaking windows of the stores, vandalizing storefronts, vandalizing vehicles, trying to set them on fire. And throwing stones, obviously cultural appropriation. After Friday prayers, dozens of local Palestinian youth from Hawada took to the streets to defend their town, confront the settlers and the soldiers. And of course, the occupation soldiers fired live ammunition and quote unquote rubber coated steel bullets, sound grenades and tear gas at the Palestinians, causing a number of injuries. Part of the attack by the settlers included them setting Palestinian agricultural lands on fire. There is a video of this that you can see posted by the Wafat News Agency on October 13th, 2022. Anytime Zionists burn agricultural lands of Palestinians, I can't help but think how not indigenous they are to Palestine. Because if you were indigenous to this land, why would you destroy it? It just doesn't make any sense. If you really believe this land to be yours and you cared for the land and you care for life, then you do anything you can to protect the land from any threat to the land, right? You don't become a destroyer of the land. But we see this time and again. It's not just the uprooting of olive trees. It's burning agricultural fields. It's massacring tens of thousands of chickens, right? For no reason. For absolutely no reason. And it's funny because in response to the attack on the chicken farm, I saw Zionists responding on Twitter, oh, well, I didn't realize you cared about animals because part of the Muslim tradition is to slaughter a lamb for one of our religious holidays and use the meat to give to the poor so that they can eat, right? Yeah, and that's exactly the same thing as arson. Yeah, and just mass killing for no reason. No, it's the same. It's the same. Several Palestinians were also detained during this confrontation. Palestinian was quoted in the Mondo Weiss article as saying that what's happening in Hawada right now is terrifying and it's a sign of what's to come in the rest of the West Bank as the settlers continue their violent rampages on Palestinian towns like ours. Now, this incident is not isolated, right? We also saw the occupation carry out a full-blown siege on a Palestinian refugee camp, the Shufat refugee camp in occupied East Jerusalem, where Palestinian residents of that camp were trapped for three days, some of them unable to receive critical health treatments, basic supplies like water, food, as the occupation enforced a very strict blockade on the camp, preventing anyone from leaving or entering. Locked down the camp because an Israeli soldier was killed on Saturday by a man who approached a checkpoint leading to the camp and opened fire. No, I believe it was neutralized, actually. A terror threat was neutralized. Or maybe uh, just struck by a bullet. Who shot it? Who knows? Maybe one of them. Residents of the camp were reported as saying that there were a lot of individuals who needed medical treatment and were, were unable to go to hospitals in Jerusalem. There were a lot of individuals who needed dialysis. Cancer patients were unable to get access to their treatment because they were prevented from leaving. The camp is home to 140,000 people. Again, these people, not where they're from. They are from places that were ethnically cleansed by Zionists decades ago, and they've been living in trapped in this 
you know, endless cycle of statelessness and refugee-ness for decades. So 140,000 people living all on top of each other in this refugee camp in occupied East Jerusalem. And the trauma continues. A representative for Al-Haq, the Palestinian human rights organization, described the lockdown of the camp as collective punishment, where which the occupation routinely carries out because they know that there's not going to be any repercussions for carrying out collective punishment. Now, of course, collective punishment is a war crime. It violates the Geneva Convention. It's a form of persecution that the apartheid state applies both in action and in law. But again, because Israel's never held, held accountable for its violations of human rights, they carry out this type of oppression routinely. So the Shafat camp is the only refugee camp that lies within the municipal boundaries of Jerusalem. Most of the residents of the camp have the so-called Jerusalem resident ID, which is one of the categories of identity that the occupation has created for Palestinians. So it's different from the Israeli nationality and citizenship. And it's also different from the Palestinian Authority documents. And it's also different from the documents that individuals in Gaza may have. It's this extra category that provides them with different levels of access to different parts of Palestine. So in response to the siege on the refugee camp, Palestinians in the camp and in surrounding neighborhoods in occupied East Jerusalem have launched a general strike in protest. Stores and schools in the area remain shut and Palestinian laborers who often travel within to Israel proper to go to work refuse to go. Students at Beersaid University in the Ramallah area also boycotted classes in solidarity. And the city of Nablus in the northern occupied West Bank also observed a general strike. Because the occupation relies on Palestinian labor. A general strike is one of the most effective ways that Palestinians can cripple the economy of the occupation. Use their ability to withhold their labor to exact some sort of concession from the occupation. Tool that was used during the intifadas been a successful method for Palestinian resistance. It's one of many. So one thing to note is that the reason why the occupation is able to actually carry out this full-on siege is because residents who are living in the camp are fully encircled by the apartheid wall and only have two exit and entry points in the form of permanently staffed occupation border police checkpoints. So they literally live within a prison. Over 100,000 people in order to exit or enter the neighborhood where they live have to pass through an occupation checkpoint. A foreign occupying force is controlling their movement and access to their land. And when that occupation decides that they want to shut the whole thing down and cage over 130,000 people, well, they can. And they have. Yeah. Remember when they said they studied the Warsaw Ghetto so that they could do the same thing to Palestinians? You never want to study the Warsaw Ghetto from the other side. People in the occupation are like, we hate Kanye, but we love the Azov Battalion. Like, oh, you like the literal Nazi? Also, I mean, they took his bank account away, J.P. Yeah. Morgan Chase. Yeah, 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 yeah. Not the best way to fight the idea that Jews control all the banks, right? Closing <laughs> the man's bank account kind of kind of fucks up the M.O. for us. They didn't discontinue the bank of Jeffrey Epstein, but maybe that's because he was a Zionist. You know, I mean, who knows? Ali Abu Nama and Maureen Murphy wrote in the Electronic Intifada on October 14th, questioning whether Palestine is on the brink of a full-scale revolt. We can't ignore the fact 
that there have been almost daily killings of Palestinians, especially young children in the occupied West Bank, leave alone the assaults that happen on Gaza. And that's taking Palestinians to a breaking point. You can't just kill like that without being met with some form of resistance. It's just not possible. You cannot break up our families and take away our loved ones in an instant and expect that this is how you're going to maintain living in your la-la land of, of a state. It's just not going to work. It's going to lead to mass resistance because you have made life so impossible for us to live and enjoy on our land. That resistance is the only answer. Six Palestinian boys have been killed by the occupation since the beginning of October. We're two weeks into October, and they've killed Faiz Damdoum, Mahdi Ladadwa, Adil Daoud, Mahmoud Sous, Mahmoud Samoudi, Osama Awadi. 17, 17, 14, 17, 12, 17. They are systematically targeting our children. And doctors. There was a doctor in Janine who was sniped. It's like their snipers only know how to hit journalists or doctors. Or children. Abdullah Abu Tin, a Palestinian doctor working at Khalil Suleiman Governmental Hospital, died after being shot by the occupation when trying to treat casualties during an occupation raid in Janine. He was trying to treat individuals that the occupation had shot, and they shot him. And this is so common. This is like exactly what they do every time. They shoot at ambulances. I saw a video earlier this week of them shooting at ambulances in Janine. Like if the ambulance manages to get to where the victims are, there are settlers who will cut the tires of the ambulance so that it can't drive off. Or the snipers will just shoot at the ambulance. Yeah, they shoot children, they shoot doctors, they shoot, shoot journalists. They call that the human rights trifecta. Yes. That's a hat trick at the uh, ICC. I wonder if they even know that they're like meant to be aiming at people with guns, right? They're just like, hey, that's a press vest. That's good enough for me. And the resistance doesn't stop there. In Sheikh Jarrah earlier this week, again, because Israeli settlers, some of them armed, invaded Sheikh Jarrah and, 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 and attempted to take it over on Thursday night, attacking Palestinian residents and their property. Palestinians from that community resisted as well. You can see a video of... I think um, it was in Isawiya as well. Isawiya was under attack. That's home to a friend of the show, Amro Palestini. And he posted footage of the youth responding to the raid by firing fireworks at the occupation soldiers. The children of Palestine are defending the land largely with fireworks. After the settler mob dispersed from Sheikh Jarrah on Thursday, the Israeli police fired skunk water on Palestinian homes in the neighborhood. They also drowned Isawiya in tear gas. There was a video posted again by Amro that showed tear gas literally raining from the sky in every direction, and a child was suffocated to death from the tear gas. Yeah, it was a baby, actually. It was like a newborn baby suffocated to death from inhaling tear gas. On this panel with Noura, one of the questions was about one of her tweets, and the students wanted, wanted her to explain her sentiment. She tweeted, if a single Israeli child were pulled out from beneath a rubble of what used to be her home and obliterated the rest of 
her family. Not a single Western government would not condemn it or try to blame both sides. Racism and colonialism explain this. They expect us to die. It's a tweet that went pretty viral. And the students in the, in the panel asked her about it. And she said, look, it's it's the, the logic of Palestinians are meant to die is something that we have to constantly challenge and, and face and deal with. Because we can give all of this information, but at the end of the day, it doesn't get through to people because part of the issue is they're used to seeing us die. We're supposed to die. On the other hand, if it was a Jewish-Israeli child, you can bet that the entire world would be mobilized. The U.S. would issue statements. They would talk about it for weeks. They would invite officials. They would issue sanctions to the extent possible. They would do everything in their power to condemn such an act. Meanwhile, anything happens to a Palestinian, Blinken hits that podium and he's like, we're waiting for more information. It's like, what more information do you need? I saw video of a Palestinian baby covered with respiratory masks and all this receiving oxygen. And we know that the baby died from tear gas inhalation from the occupation. What, what else do you need? These videos are all over Twitter. They're all over the internet. The, the, Palestinian journalists are posting this for us to see in real time. I saw an attempted lynching of a Palestinian man during one of these settler attacks. They, they, they encircled him. They had these like iron rods and they were trying to literally beat him to death. That's the narrative that they're comfortable with. They're comfortable with the narrative of Palestinians dying. Anytime that happens, they are fine. But you flip it, these two occupation goons, like, okay, you went to birthright, you ended up dead. They, they are flipping out. There are people online, people in real life. I have a friend who said she over overheard a conversation between like a bunch of occupation supporters and they were like Palestinians are killing Israelis all the time and it's like oh word it's actually a new feeling for you I feel like it's a new sensation to understand what it's like to lose someone and I mean if there was ever a need to repeat this Palestinians have the right to resist it's our legal right it's our moral right we're on our land and we are facing a brutally violent military occupation that has been there for decades. It's fully entrenched itself into all aspects of our society and made our lives unlivable. For anti-Zionist Jews, if you say free Palestine and you don't support the resistance, what the fuck are you doing except for PR for the occupation? On Friday, October 14th, within our lifetime, joined the call for the Palestinian Day of Rage by organizing events in New York City, mobilization in support of Palestinians struggling against the siege in Jerusalem and resisting from Nablus to Jenin, and standing in solidarity with Palestinians killed in recent weeks. And Padalam Nirdin Kiswani, who led the organizing effort in New York, spoke at the NYC rally. Nirdin also had an article written by another Padalam, Heba Jamal, talking about how she is the most targeted Palestinian in the United States because of her organizing. She is one of the premier organizers in the US and she sends grown men into full-on temper tantrums on the daily. Like the guys at the ADL, they log on every day and just cry looking at her account. She was, of course, subjected to a very vicious Zionist smear campaign and she is defiant as ever. So check out that article as well. The Nekba files, the Haaretz reported this week, recently released information on how 
the Israeli army in 1948 utilized biological warfare against Palestinians. On April 1st, 1948, Ben-Gurion wrote in his journal about the development of science and speeding up its application in warfare. A month later, he wrote about biological materials that were purchased for only $2,000. Only now, 74 years later, has a connection between these two entries come to light. The disturbing story behind them was recently uncovered by historian Benny Morris and historian Benjamin Kadar following extensive archival research. The excerpts from the diary of the man who would become Israel's first prime minister are traces of his involvement in a secret operation to poison the drinking water of Palestinians during the Nakba. So it wasn't just murder with guns then. They were like, we got to do a multi-pronged strategy of murder. And really, every year we find out something new about the Nakba. Some new, grotesque, horrific way that Zionists killed Palestinians during the Nakba. And it comes to light because all of this classified information that the apartheid state has locked up in rooms in the walls of some government institution or hiding in some sort of, you know, academic library or whatever it may be, released. And then somebody goes through them and it goes, oh, well, actually, they tried to poison all of the water of all the Palestinians. Oops. Yeah. Well, it doesn't matter. I mean, you know, Israel has a right to exist. It's the water that they would eventually take control over, though. So it's like, what are you doing? No wonder they're all so fucking dumb. They've been drinking that water. The idea to poison the drinking water of Palestinians was intended to prevent them from returning to their villages and from settling in so-called Jewish locales that would fall into their hands. This operation initially focused on the area between Jerusalem and Tel Aviv and later expanded to Akka in the north and Gaza in the south. And the evidence indicates that it included Jericho, Beit Mashir, and others. I heard Netanyahu entered the hospital. Yeah, actually, I was just going to talk about Netanyahu. Apparently, the hot risk reported on October 14th that Netanyahu asked Obama to bomb Iran's nuclear installations. From his hospital bed, he's like, start a world war. <laughs> no, so this was before. In <laughs> 2013, Netanyahu asked then President Barack Obama to order an American strike on Iran's nuclear installations. Netanyahu writes in his new book, BB My Story. <laughs> Can you imagine? Uh, I thought it was going to be BBW my story. I don't know why. (laughs) (laughs) This is the first confirmation from Netanyahu, now opposition leader, of allegations by the Obama administration that he sought to drag the U.S. into a war with Iran. Those are the only allegations he will address. According to Netanyahu, Obama refused to comply, saying, nobody likes a Goliath. I don't want to be an 800-pound gorilla strutting on a world stage. For too long, we acted that way. That's so interesting because he did murder a lot of people in drone strikes. But I mean... That's not Goliath. That's David. David had drones. (laughs) Oh, no. David had rocks. Sounds Palestinian. There seem to be a lot of gems from this new book. What a totally soft title for a totally murderous tyrant. It sounds like it belongs in like the romantic fiction. Well, yeah, what's he going to name it? It's like eat, pray, love, but uh, eat, pray, destroy. That come through? (laughs) It came through. (laughs) Okay, okay. Just Just that when I'm, I can't like- No, no, I don't need a response. I just want to know that we got the audio. It's difficult to multitask sometimes. Listen, I've never told a bad joke. (laughs) I've just had the Wi-Fi fail. (laughs) I wait for the YouTube comment six months from now (laughs) to validate me. I don't need you. Did that come through? (laughs) It came through. (laughs) Let me read this insane article. 
Oh, yeah, go for it. From the Jerusalem Post, there is an article entitled Judaism and Modern Zionism from Conflict to Collaboration. Zionism in general and religious Zionism in particular have positively contributed to all aspects of religious life in the occupation and the diaspora. What an insane conclusion to draw. <laughs> As is well known and recorded, the early years of the modern Zionist movement were marked by considerable opposition from many rabbinical authorities. This opposition can be attributed to two primary factors. The first and more well known relates to rabbinical criticism over the notion that humanity should be in any way the driving force behind the establishment of a Jewish national entity. Out of the sincere belief that such an act contradicted their messianic vision. That vision served as a central tenet of Jewish faith for centuries of life in exile and was predicated upon an ideal that the coming of the Messiah would be a suddenly godly act. Therefore, we as people should not be intervening in that process. The second reason for their opposition, and in many ways the more practical reason, was based on a deep suspicion, indeed outright fear, that modern Zionism represented a sort of alternative approach to Jewish peoplehood until the rise of this movement in the very late 19th century. While there had been splinter factions over the years over how to practice the faith. For the most part, Jewish identity had been linked to a fervent biblical tradition and adherence to a code of Jewish law and ethics for perhaps the first time in Jewish history, a movement sought to replace the concept of the Jew with the concept of a Zionist or in later decades, the Israeli. Yeah, that's I am speechless. The Jerusalem Post published this article. This sounds like something I wrote. Yes. You know what and, I mean? Yes. And we know this. This is this. We know this. Elon Pape has written about this. Plenty of other anti-Zionist Jews have written about this. The resistance to Zionism was from the inception of the establishment of modern political Zionism by Jews, socialist Jews, Orthodox Jews, Jews of all different persuasions. And, and the concern was there was Zionists were attempting to replace the definition of what it meant to be a Jew with a Zionist. And that was a problem for Judaism. And that's what we've been saying this whole time. And now it's very interesting because Zionists are now admitting it when it's convenient for them because they're writing this article about how it goes from this to perhaps better times now, allegedly. But like... Okay, so that's how the article starts, right? And then there's a bunch of trash in the middle. But like, <laughs> the ending is the necessary conclusion is that it was worth recognizing that this quote, identity conflict was a blessed development and is in many ways responsible for allowing the fusion of Jewish and Israeli that makes up our modern existence. Two values which were once positioned as incompatible with each other are today thriving hand in hand in ways that have permanently and positively affected who we are as a nation and as a people. I mean, you got so close to understanding why you're problematic as a Jewish ethnostate, as a Jewish supremacist. You almost got there. And then you were like, but actually, 
apartheid's pretty good. It's good to be on top. Yeah. What's interesting about the article is that I bet you that Palestinians are not even, there's not even a mention of us as a people uh, that we exist, right? We are literally the same in number to them, if not more, on the same land. And they act like we're not there. They deprive us of citizenship and do a whole host of other terrible things. I just control searched. I just control searched the article for Palestine, not mentioned once. Or Palestinian, right? Nope, no palace, nothing. Nothing. So it's like, how can you come to the conclusion that your project has succeeded when in fact you are literally ignoring 7 million people who live on the same land that you alone control who have no rights? Yeah, let's acknowledge the 800-pound gorilla in the room. Look, I think, so one of the things that came out of the panel with Noura is that one of the consequences now, the mainstream discourse inching closer and closer to accepting what Palestinian scholars have been saying for decades, and that is that Israel is guilty of apartheid and that it's an apartheid state, is that there's no turning back from this, right? So now that we've gotten here, the the obvious path forward is that it's only going to get more and more difficult for Zionists to justify their actions in Palestine. And I want to stress, like for the longest time, they had this talking point that Jews have always been Zionist, that it was insane to think about anti-Zionist Jews, how we're so small and, you know, it doesn't even matter. Like we're just, how could we be representative of any larger thought pattern within Judaism? No, no, no. For thousands of years, Jews were like, no, thank you, Zionists, because it was a Christian evangelical movement that wanted to bring Jews to Jerusalem to bring about the rapture. People don't realize Kanye is an evangelical. Like he is a hardcore Christian fundamentalist. And that is consistent. That type of anti-Semitism is consistent with those types of circles. And they're some of the biggest supporters of the occupation. They wanted to bring about the rapture. And Jews for thousands of years were like, what if we didn't get raptured? What if we what if we stayed where we were, actually? And then, you know, just recently, now they're starting to admit that there is actually a little bit of variety of thought within Judaism, right? Just now they're admitting that. Because it's like they're slowly conceding points. They are. It's like what Steve Salida said. Like we we should never give ground because they have to give ground intellectually to stay afloat. And that's what they're doing every day. Where it's like, oh, actually, there was some different opinions. You know what I mean? But now it's better for everyone. That's the conclusion that you wanted to get to initially, and you had to backtrack your way there with the actual facts like the george bush intelligence report where he was like find something with saddam we'll figure it out from there right 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 right. (laughs) and then you know colin powell was like the vials and by the way these are the people who are telling us that iran is a threat now well they've been been saying it for for years right yeah there's actually a video of like every single president since like jimmy carter who's like we've got to bring about regime change in iran (laughs) like that's actually the welcome note at the white house (laughs) Clinton was like, guess we just hit the wrong button. These were the early years of the drones, okay? We didn't know exactly where they were firing. We were just out here doing mescaline, having a good time. Like <laughs> Sometimes you blow up a damn fucking pharmaceutical factory. It's an accident. You know what I mean? Shit. They, they, those people don't need the medicine. <laughs> Thank you, folks, for listening to another episode of the Palestine Pod. 
You can find our full episodes and sources at www.palestinepod.com. Check us out on Instagram at thepalestinepod. Send us an email at palestinepod at gmail.com. And find us on Patreon, www.patreon.com slash palestinepod. That has been another episode of the pod. Thank you all so much for listening. Have a great day. 